Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, it is a privilege for me to introduce Pastor Chris Walls to you. They're really, he needs no introduction. He's been one of our elders here for a long, long time, and he has been a dear, dear friend of mine, he and his wife, Michelle, for longer than that. You can come on out here. I love the fact that occasionally when I need to just take a breather in between series or when I go on vacation, that I do not do this work alone. Uh, that there are people who step up, they preach God's word faithfully. Uh, that said, my buddy here, I ain't going to bite you. Come on, old man. Um, you ain't going to bite me too hard. You know, we're a church that's about transparency, and, and you should know that, that Chris, Chris does have some sin in his life. And, <laughs> and, and one of those is that he's a Cowboys fan. Now, that's not <laughs> um, I, he's a Texan. He can't help himself. Mm-hmm. And I love this brother so much that I had to go to Texas this week, and I had a layover in Dallas. Uh-oh. And I love you so much that I had these colors in my backpack. Oh, nice. Here. <laughs> Can I wear it while I preach? Can I wear it while I... No, I'm not going to... My mom, if she were alive, would kill me for putting a hat on in church. You know that, right? And my dad would too. And he is alive, so he might be up here next week if I put a hat on in church. So I'm not going to do that. Thanks, Joel. You know, what was it, six years ago? No, five years ago, a little over five years ago, Joel called me and said, hey, man, I got a position at, at I just took a position as pastor of, of Covenant, and, and I got a position I wouldn't mind you seeing if you'd be interested in. And we came and visited the church. I was in the middle of an interim at a church. I was helping a church out that was without a pastor. And my wife and I came one Sunday. We had, had a Sunday off from that interim, and I came one Sunday. We, family came here, and my wife and I walked away and says, well, no matter what, we might be at Covenant anyway, even if the position doesn't work out, because we felt like this is where God was leading us no matter what. Um, and I had the opportunity to serve on staff here. Now, uh, for the last year, I've actually been away from that position. And some of y'all may not know, some of y'all may know that. Um, I stepped away just because my business was busy. Life is busy with teenagers. Uh, in fact, today I have a, my youngest has a double header that he is playing in, so I get to go out and watch baseball this afternoon. And so life is busy with, with family. And, and, and Joel talked earlier about the spiritual warfare, and our families felt that. In the past couple of weeks, we've, we've really felt it. And I just, I'm not going to go into details, but because y'all just keep us in your prayers. Because we're feeling the effects of it. And I think, as Joel was talking this morning, I knew that I was preaching this sermon, and on this passage of Scripture, and um, I think it's a good passage of Scripture to look to this morning, in the middle of everything we're going through. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to... Um, to go to a football game. 
Uh, wasn't supposed to be going to the football game. Actually, the doubleheader was supposed to happen yesterday because of all the weather, the baseball field that they were supposed to play on. Couldn't play on, so today they rescheduled it. So I got to go to the, base, the football game yesterday. We got to see Shepard play. Unfortunately, Shepard lost. Um, so it was a good, but it was a good game. I got to go spend it with my youngest son and hang out with him for a little bit and, and watch football. And I, I'm a football fanatic. I love football, so go to a high school game, go to a college game. It's, it's always good to go see, uh, see a game. And there came a point in that game, and, and as I was, that kind of, it fit perfectly in my sermon this morning, so we're going to use it, right? So yesterday, the game, it, 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 the score is 17 to 7. Kuntztown is up on Shepard. Shepard is driving down the field. They're down in, their, in, in the red zone. They're getting ready to kick a field goal to draw within with seven points of the, of the game. And, and, and so they go to kick the field goal, and it gets blocked. Not only does it get blocked, it gets picked up by Kunstown, and Kunstown returns it for a touchdown to make it 24 to 7 instead of 17 to 10. Now, a lot of people in that point in time, in that situation, commentators, football analysts, those types of people, would call that a turning point in the game, right? That was a big turning point in that game because here is, here is Shepard trying to get some momentum, trying to get, some, get close to being able to beat this team. And Shepard's ranked number, at the time, was ranked number 10 in the nation in Division II. So they're trying to hold on to what they've got in Division II rankings. And, and, and that pretty much ended the game for them. From there, they were trailing so much, it was hard for them to get back in the game. They couldn't, and they, they tried, and they, would, they had some success, but they ended up losing the game. We talk about turning points in baseball games. We talk about turning points in football games. We talk about turning points in sports. Let me ask you a question for you this morning. What's the turning point for your life? What's that point in time in your life when things shifted, when things changed, when things went differently than you thought they would? Maybe sometimes a turning point's a bad thing that happens in your life and it changes your mindset, the way you think about things. Maybe it's a, something good in your life that happens and it changes your mindset, the way you think about things. We all face turning points in our lives, how we handle it and how we deal with it or what we can do to enact a turning point in our life. Paul Gauguin lived with his wife and children in Paris. He was a successful stockbroker. He met an artist named Passario, began painting on the weekends. In 1884, he moved to Copenhagen where he failed in his business career. He ended up leaving his wife and children, moving back to Paris, painting full-time, became an impressionist painter, was good friends with Vincent van Gogh and Theo van Gogh, but he was dissatisfied with the impressionist movement and started changing the way he started painting differently than Impressionist movement. And when he changed, he started incorporating different art forms into his Impressionist art form and things like Asian influences and African influences into the traditional, because he felt like the traditional uh, European symbolism lacked, uh, lacked what he wanted. In 1891, he decided he moved to Tahiti, where he spent most of the rest of his life. Off and on, he would go back to Europe a couple of times, and he felt that he could move to Tahiti, and one of his mindset was to move to Tahiti where there's no rules, there's no religion, nothing to curtail the noble savage. He was hoping to find true purity and true beauty. 
that's not what he found. Instead, he found violence and sin and disease and death and pain and heartache. He discovered there is no such thing as utopia. Gauguin had been raised by socialist parents and Marxist parents and believed that there was a utopia out there, and he was trying to find it. Several times, Gauguin tried to commit suicide. He lived a life of hopelessness and felt like life was completely hopeless in and of itself. He wanted the world to live by his expectations. Towards the end of his life, he painted a very famous painting, the title of which kind of showed his angst on life. The title of it's called, Where Do We Come From? What Are We? Where Are We Going? Right after he painted this painting, he attempted suicide again and failed. He lived a pretty hopeless life. He felt like life, he wanted to live life on his terms, and he felt like life should play according to his rules. And when life doesn't play, uh, play according to your rules, it becomes very hopeless, right? It becomes very hard. We all know this. We all look around at things in our life and we know it's not doing what I want it to do. Things aren't acting the way I want it to act. People aren't acting the way I want them to act. Things are not going the way I would expect them to go or hope they would go, dream they would go. We all realize that. But the question is, is what do we do with it? What's the turning point? Where's the point in that change in our lifestyle and our mindset where we change from, hey, life isn't playing by our rules, but life is playing by a different set of rules, and what do we need to do in order to understand life from a different set of rules? What do we need to do to understand it from God's rules and the way God wants us to live and the way God wants us to uh, act? Where is the point in time in your life that you've experienced the turning point with God? A change in your mindset, a change in your attitude, a change in your heart that made you act differently than you might normally act or people around you might normally act. God calls us to live a different life, doesn't he? Whatever you need to do to make more of Christ in your life is what God wants you to do. More of him. God has proven over and over again when people truly submit to him, things change in their lives. We come to this passage in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that Kim read to us, and it has some background, an interesting background, because Solomon has just dedicated the temple. He had, his, his father had gathered all the supplies for the temple. Solomon had built the temple. He had built his own palace. He had, he had finished it all, and God is talking to him and kind of blessing him. And if you go back in, into verse uh, 12, he says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Listen to verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. That's kind of an interesting sentence to say, right? Here God is Say, here's my glory, here's where I'm going to dwell, here's the, palace, the place I'm going, to, I'm going to live in. But there's going to come a point in time when the people are going to forget. And pestilence is going to come on the land. And things are not going to go the way you expect them to go. When that time happens, here's what needs to happen. 
is basically what God says. And he gives this kind of prescription of what needs to happen in the hearts and the minds of the people of God when things aren't going the way they want them to go. When a turning point in life needs to happen. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You ever get the mindset that God actually knows you better than you know yourself? You ever come to that realization that God knows you better than you know yourself? He knew his own people so well that there's going to come a point in time, even though I'm in their presence, even though I'm in this place, even though I'm, my glory is here, there's going to come a time when they're going to forget about me. They're going to turn away from me. For you as a person who follows Christ, who has God's spirit in you, there's going to come a point in time when you're going to forget about that spirit living in you and you're going to act on your own. You're going to do what you want to do and act the way you want to do and say what you want to say and treat people the way you want to treat them and you're going to have to realize there needs to be a turning point and a change where you go back to what God wants you to go back to and return to him. There's going to be that time in your life when you need to step back and say, whoa, things aren't happening the way they need to happen. What do I need to do to change? We're going to help you. First of all, give you a couple ideas here. First of all, you must realize your identity. If my people, biblical times names meant a lot, right? You see names, names that are used to signify people and changing of names is an important thing in people's life. Simon's name is turned to Peter. Peter being the name rock, meaning rock in Greek. There's a name in the New Testament that's kind of an interesting name, Barabbas. The name that they called for when Jesus is standing in Pontius Pilate, standing before the people, and he says, which one should I give you, Barabbas or Jesus? And what do the people yell? Barabbas. You know what the word Barabbas means? Bar means son. Simon, Bar, Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Bar means son. Abba means father. So as they're yelling out for Barabbas, they're screaming, son of the father, son of the father, son of the father. They're yelling for him, but don't even realize what they're yelling for. See, names mean something. Names are important in, in Scripture. Names for you and who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, There's many names that we call ourselves. There's Christian is one of the names because in in Acts, the early Christians were acting in such a way that the people outside of the church looked at them and said they're acting like little Christ. So they started calling them Christians. So the moniker Christian got put on us as the people who follow Christ. That moniker got put on us. That name got put on us. It's a pretty cool name. My name, Christopher, means follower of Christ. Man, it's a hard one. Names mean something. You're identifying with something. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, has actually a couple times tried to get people, persuade people to change their name. 
He's done it to a guy named Gordon Keith, who's a radio personality in Dallas. He offered him $250,000 if he would change his name for a year. Another radio personality in, in Chicago, a, a, a sports talk host named David Kaplan, he offered him $50,000 to change his name to Dallas Maverick. Kaplan refused. Cuban looked at him and said, okay, fine. I'll offer you $100,000 for you, and I'll give $100,000 to your favorite charity if you'll change your name to Dallas Maverick for one year. That sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm a Mavericks fan, so I mean, I might be tempted to do that, but my name's not that important in the world around. These guys have a little more. Kaplan said something very interesting because when he told Cuban no, he wasn't going to do it. He said this, I'd be saying I'd do anything for money, and that bothers me. My name is my birthright. I'd like to preserve my integrity and credibility. Follower of Christ, Christian, is your birthright. For those that put your faith and trust in Christ, it is your birthright to be called a child of God. Many There's many different names describe who we are. We have the responsibility to live up to it every day in a way that honors his, that name. The problem is, is many people take that what name, Christian, follower of Christ maybe, and try to create and, 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 and put, bring it down and bring that name down and tear that name down. So if my people who are called by my name who are patterning themselves after what I want, what God wants, what God desires, what God says is right, who take on me as their source of identity. We stand before the rest of the world to live differently. We value things that are eternal in nature. We value a different lifestyle, a different mindset, a different heart, a different attitude towards people around us. We don't look at people the same as the world looks at them. We look at them because God has created them. We look at, it, at fellow image bearers of God, and we look at them differently, and we treat them differently. We are called to be a holy priesthood where every believer carries the responsibility of the ministry not just the pastors, not just the elders. We are called to be Christ's witnesses in the world, sharing his truth and boldly seeking his power. We're also known by a new name. Whenever a person comes to Christ, they are a new creation or given the opportunity to live a transformed life. We came to Christ, we became associated with his name. Every single person who claims to know Jesus either lifts his name up or tears his name down. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now that we realize God has made us differently, what do we do? If my people are called by that name, boy, this is a hard pill to swallow, will humble themselves. 
I'm going to use the phrase, I must devote, demote myself. Ooh, that cuts. That's hard, right? We're proud Americans. Hey, I'm even worse. I'm a proud Texan. See, we take boasting, American boasting, and kind of amp it up a little bit as a Texan because everything's bigger and better in Texas. You know, I had a professor in college, a history professor, Dr. Lavelle Cole. We were in American history class, and we came just to the part of American history where we were talking about Texas, and I was going to college in Arkansas, okay? And he, he, he says, at the beginning of the class, he says, all right, guys, how many of y'all from Texas? About five or six of us raised our hands, and he says, all right, the rest of y'all from other states. How many of y'all from other states think Texans boast a lot? And all of them raised their hand really high, especially the people from Arkansas. And he turns and looks at the class and says, well, you know what? They have a right to. You heard it here. There's so many things that are funny about there. And then he goes on and tells the history of Texas because Texas was a nation before it was a state. And the only state that was a nation before it was a state. So there's a lot of things that are different about the way Texas is treated compared to other states in the Union. Do you know Texas owns, every state in the Union owns, only owns three miles off their coast except for the state of Texas, who owns 13 miles off its coast? Texas does have the right to separate into five different states if it chooses to. I know, I'm bragging right now. Not very humble, am I? Not very demoting of myself. We must demote ourselves. We must be humble. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We've got to be humble. We got to demote ourselves. The crazy thing is, is, we've got the greatest example in all of Scripture because the night before Jesus was put on the cross, what did he say? Not my will be done, but your will be done. When we demote ourselves, some things happen. First of all, when we demote, the motion of self opens up to his guidance. When you're willing to put your interests, your desires aside to the side and set it aside for God's desires and his kingdom desires, you are opening yourself to be guided by God's hand. When you demote yourself and submit yourself to God, you're allowing yourself to be guided by him. You're allowing yourself to be used by him for his kingdom and his glory. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. I said this, I think the last time I preached, when, God, when, when pride walks on the stage, God walks off. You got to demote yourself so you can have guidance. You have to also have to demote yourself 
the devotion of self allows us to know his grace. When we realize that we aren't as significant as we think we are, we see God as more significant and what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, his grace that has been given to us through his son is magnified greater when we realize how unimportant we are. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Demotion of self gives us a gentle heart. We need some gentle hearts these days, don't we? We got a lot of arrogance, a lot of self-promotion, a lot of putting down of other people, tearing, trying to tear people up. And that's what we do as people, is we tear people down so that we can build ourselves up. And God's saying, no, you don't need to tear people down to build yourself up. You need a gentle heart so that I can build you up. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Ouch. Demotion of self leads us to true greatness. Wait, I gotta humble myself to be great? Yeah. Because it's not about you anymore. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you desire, but it's about what God wants and what he desires, right? And then you're made great not because of what you've accomplished, but what God's accomplished through you. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The motion itself gives us spiritual garments as well. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5 5. Demotion of self gives way to eternal glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, Paul tells the church at Rome. We're going to go through hard times. We're going to go through struggles. If you haven't had it, you will have it. You're going to go through times going, looking around going, where are you, God? Why are you not working in my life right now? Why is this happening to me right now? Why do I have to go through this right now? And we got to realize that what we go through now doesn't compare to what we're going to get. And what we're going to get is much greater than what we're going through. And we can live through this time right now, not because of this time. It's going to be hard. It's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be tough. It's going to weigh on us heavily. But we can go through this time because we have an expectation of what God is going to do for us in the future. And when we humble ourselves and take a step back and realize, hey, I'm not as great as I think I am, and I'm not as great as maybe other people think I am. I'm only as great as what God thinks I am. And he's the one that matters the most. And his opinion is what matters. And when I demote myself in that way, I realize that I am being able to be used 
by God in ways that will transform not only my life, but the life of those around me. And if you can't be transformed in that way, God is standing, he, he wants you to be transformed in that way. Where your mind is changed, your heart's changed, and your desires are changed so that he is able to use you to impact not only your life, but those around you's lives. And I know it's hard. We don't want to be humble. We, we like our pride. We like to feel self-assured and self, self-sufficient. You know, there's an old saying, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You know what I say? You know what you pull, do when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You get broken bootstraps. I've worn cowboy boots in my life a lot. I'm from Texas. It's kind of like if you don't wear cowboy boots, you can't be from that state. We demote ourselves, but there's some things we also have to do that are important. We have to devote myself. I have to devote myself. Many times the people of God in the Old Testament called out to God, and the word that is used literally means to cry out, to implore, for aid. It's pray. I must humble myself. I must pray. Charles Spurgeon once said, the best style of prayer is that which cannot be called anything else but a cry. How many of you have cried out to God? This week, God, help me. I need you in my life. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength in me because I can't handle what's going on around me. That should be our heart cry every day. In everything that we go through, every situation. And I don't, I'm terrible at this, people. I'm just going to be very transparent to this. My first inclination when something happens isn't to go to God and pray. Because I'm a fix-it dude. I like to fix things. I like to make things right. I like to take care of things and make sure it's going to work properly and, and go the right way and do the right thing and and man, when, when things go haywire in my life, the first thing I do is not go, God, I need you. I go, how can I fix this? It's a bad thing that I have in my life. I got still working on it. But that should be our desires to cry out to God, God, help us. I made a joke earlier to David. He walked up to me and says, Asked me if I needed anything. Just getting ready for sermon this morning, and I, I said, "Yeah." And I, t- my wife gets tired of this thing because I do it. I do it to waitresses at, at, at restaurants and things like that. Hey, can I get you anything else? Anybody, somebody, anytime, anytime somebody says something like that, my wife goes to Walmart. Can I get it? Is there anything you need? This is my patented answer. Yeah, I need a million dollars tax free. I was in Vegas a couple of years ago and was in this gift shop. And there was this big paper bill, and it was a million dollars, and I sent a picture of it to my wife and said, look, I found a million dollars tax-free. And I thought, no, it's really not tax-free, because if I buy it, i got to pay sales tax on it. So it really isn't tax-free then. And I get it from a friend of mine years ago who always asked, if somebody looked at him and says, why do you ask that all the time? He says, because if you don't ask, you don't get. 
maybe one day, he thought, maybe one day I'll ask the right person at the right time in the right situation. They go, sure, here's a million dollars. Who knows? So I kind of took on that mantra. I might as well ask and see if it happens. It, it probably will never happen. I don't know what I would do if it did happen. But here's the thing in our lives. The, the, the illustration helps us. We have not because we ask not. Matthew 7, tell, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. Now, I don't, I, the million dollars is a joke. But do you want strength to handle what you're going through? Do you want God's power in your presence daily to help you through your life? If you don't have it, maybe you need to ask for it. We got to cry out to God when things are going awry in our life, when things are going hard in our life, and we got to cry out with a heart cry of, Lord, I need you. The final thing we need is I must desire more than myself. God tells Solomon to seek my face. This is the part of the passage of literally laying down of our own desires and asking God what he desires. Imagine if, go back to your teenage years, for some of us it's a little harder than others. Go back to your teenage years and you want to borrow the car from your dad. You go up to your dad and you say, hey dad, can I borrow the car? How many of you knew the answer before he ever said a word? Because, well, he may have just said no just as a patented no anyway, but you saw the face, right? You saw the approval or disapproval. You saw the, I don't know. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Imagine it. God's standing here looking at you and saying, seek my face. He's saying, seek me with your desires. When you have something you want to do, seek my face. Seek my approval. Seek what I want you to do. Looking at him and asking, does he approve of what I am doing? Marcus Aurelius Antonius, Roman emperor, said, the true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects he pursues. Is the object of your pursuit God and what he desires? Or is the object of your pursuit what you desire? God is saying to you, seek my face. Seek my approval. Seek me with your desires. And some of them are obvious. There's, going to be, there's obvious things in your life that God's going to look at you and say, no, fool, that's stupid. Okay? Admit it. And there's things in your life that God's going to look at you and go, go for it. And then there are things in your life that God's going to look at you and say, no, but I got something better. A.W. Tozer says, if we yearned after God even as much as a cow yearns for her calf, we would be the worshiping, effective believer God wants us to be. If we long for God as a bride looks forward to the return of her husband, 
we would be a far greater force for God than we are now. Y'all ever seen a mama cow crying out to a baby cow? It's a loud cry. God wants us to seek his face, seek his desires. God wants us to go and pursue him in everything that we do. Everything that we do is subject to his authority, his rule, his reign, and everything that we want to do, we seek his face. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. Final thing he tells us to do is turn from our wicked ways, and that's the idea I must dedicate myself. Turn from our wicked ways. We must confess what sin when we realize we've sinned. We must confess and, and seek a new renew a relationship with God. We must confess and seek God's assistance. I must dedicate my life to his ways when I want to be, have a turning point in my life, I've got to sit down and take time to confess, God, I have not been living up to what you want. I have sinned. And I need your forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing. When you ask God's forgiveness, he gives it to you. Turn from my wicked ways. Have you done this in your life? If not, what are you scared of? How many of y'all are scared? If you ever got serious with God, he might ask you to do something you're not willing to do. I was 15 years old, came back from a church youth group camp, youth camp, sitting in church and sunny evening and I, for some reason I was like Lord I don't know what you're asking me to do but I'm ready to do it. Came forward and I had to sign this little card in our church at the time and then the only thing, there was all this stuff that you're supposed to mark like if you're baptism if you want to rededicate your life or I don't know different things it, but for some reason the biggest thing and the only thing I saw on that card was I want to commit my life to service of God. Ministry. Okay. I fought with God over that a little bit. Because I didn't want to do that to my family. I didn't want to do that to my wife. And God's like, no, I'll take care of you. How many of you are scared that God's going to send you somewhere you might not want to go? Some of you should be excited that God might do something different in your life than what he's doing right and what you're doing right now. Some of you be, should be anticipating, hey, where am I going to go today? What does God want me to do today? It should be an exciting thing to think about. Hey, God's got something for me. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to go. That should be our attitude. Forget the old God. Oh, I might have to give up something. I might have to give up my car. I might get my house. I might have to give up. What? What does it matter? You got an opportunity to follow God in the situations that you may not be comfortable in, you may not like, you may not be 
able to handle, but guess what? God's right there with you to help you through it. Some of y'all, God's calling you to do something, and you're sitting in your seat going, I don't really want to do it. Get out of the seat, people. Get on board with God and what he wants for your life, what he desires for your life, what he has called you to do. Make a change. What's God calling you to do? Now there's that back half of the passage that it's all God's what he's going to do because it's an if-then statement. Y'all know what an if-then statement. If you do this, I'm going to do this. And God's giving you an if-then statement. If you do these things that we've talked about so far, then God's going to do some stuff. I'm going to spend very little time on that because it really doesn't matter. Because God's going to do some stuff. God's going to take care of some things. God's going to, you know, he's going to hear you. He's going to forgive you. And he's going to give you healing and restore you. Those are the things he's promised in this passage. God's going to do what he's going to do. Here's your job. Not to worry about what God's going to do. Your job is to worry about what you're supposed to do. Take care of the if. Let God take care of the then. Because if you take care of the if, the then will happen. Your job is if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my or pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. God's going to take care of the rest of the stuff. Your job is the if. Because here's the thing I understand about God, and I've come to understand about God pretty seriously. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And when he says, hey, if you do this, I'll do this, he's going to do it. So you don't need to worry about when the then is going to happen. You need to worry about the if is going to happen. So worry about the if. Where's the turning point coming in your life? Start doing the if. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your truth in our life. And we pray that we would take our minds and our hearts and transform them to your will. That your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that your strength and your power would infiltrate our minds and our hearts to make us, help us become more like you and to put away ourself and our desires and seek your desires for our lives. In your son's name, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.